As you listen to our discussion today, what's your mood? Are you generally happy and carefree? Or are you troubled and bothered by the cares of everyday life? Does God care about your emotional condition? Does He want you to be happy? Or are you on your own to affect your daily mood? Welcome to Craving Answers, Craving God. Today's question, does God want you to be happy? I'm Chuck Rathert with Aaron Miller. Aaron is the pastor of St. James Lutheran Church in Glen Carbon, Illinois. Aaron, there's probably at least one unhappy person who is listening today who really, really hopes that you will confirm that, yes, God wants us to be happy. What say you? Yeah, God does want us to be happy. He loves us, and he, um, he wants us to enjoy him and enjoy our lives and enjoy all the things he gives us. Uh, there are things that he wants for us more than being happy, but happiness is on the list. It's not the top of the list, but it is on the list. He does want us to be happy, yeah. Okay, that's the end of our program. We answered the question, and uh, now I guess what do we talk about? Well, so the problem is we aren't happy. <laughs> the problem is is that uh, we are maybe the most unhappy people ever. We uh, Americans, there's uh, um, suicide rates are skyrocketing uh, on a on a, on a not as horrible level, but still a bad level. Um, the pharmaceutical industry is making tons of money off of um, antidepressants and all kinds of medication in the counseling industry, and uh, this is I. I I've gone to counseling. I do go to counseling, so I'm a part of this too. We've, we as a culture are by and large, we wouldn't describe ourselves as happy. So that's the problem: is we aren't happy. Um, does God want us to be happy? Yes. Why aren't we happy? Uh, should we pursue happiness? Is if God wants us to be happy, should we? Is being happy a good goal for us? These are all good, good, important questions. I'm sure we can. And get I to. can't disagree with you when we look at the uh, current condition of. American culture and society, it seems to be roiling uh, in ways that I can't even rem remember. But if I look at Venezuela, if I look at Greece, if I look at Ukraine, I think I'd rather be here than there. You, you, I think you describe this as America is the worst. I mean, the worst we've ever been. I'm not not worst compared to other other places and other people, but. I, I do think it's um, um, I think it's important to note that people it's possible to be happy and so so we as Americans uh, we have lots of things and we're relatively safe compared to people in Ukraine for instance uh, or on the western edge of Russia uh, our government is less corrupt than Venezuela's I think that that's safe to say. And yet, I don't think that if you – so I've traveled a little bit. I spent a little bit of time in Mexico, and I will say that people who are in a lot worse circumstances than I am economically and socially, I was shocked by how much happier they seem to be than me. 
it's a very small sample size and it's a very personal anecdote. Yeah, but you know, that's not the first time I've heard that. Right. And I think for me and for many Americans, that's just really hard to process. It's almost unbelievable. Okay, sure, we know that prosperity brings with it all kinds of troubles and adversity that we have to fight through. But impoverished, desperately impoverished people, like in Honduras, Guatemala, and I know people who have gone to do mission work down there, and they come back humbled by it and suddenly in touch with a kind of happiness that I guess you can only find if you have an experience in a, in a desperately impoverished area. Can you explain that somehow? I really can't. That seems so strange to me. You just, you said the phrase, the kind of happiness that can only you know happen in a desperately impoverished That just seems so strange to me that I would think that physical comfort would be an important element of happiness, and, and yet here it is. We are the most physical, physically comfortable people in the history of the world. I mean, we have air conditioning and satellite TV and cell phones and food is cheaper in America than it's ever been anywhere else in the history of the world. And, and yet we're by and large a, a miserable people. And wh why is that? Wh where's, where did the mistake happen? I, I, I think that's a, I think it's a worthwhile question. I don't know if I'm equipped to answer it, but I, I do think we can talk about does God want us to be happy? And what does that mean? Is there, is it possible to join up God's desire for our happiness and use what we know about God, I'm speaking as a Christian now, what we know about God from his word, and think about why is it that I'm not happy? What's gone wrong? In 1 Kings chapter 4, there is a description of Solomon's reign as king. Verse 20 says, Judah and Israel were as many as the sand of the sea. They ate and drank and were happy. Is that the happiness that the Bible foresees for the people of God? Yeah, I mean, that's certainly a part of it. I mean, God, the, the Bible insists that God designed the world to reflect his character. He especially designed humans to reflect who he is. We're made in his image. There's, there's something about humanity that reflects the nature and character of the creator God. And so, yeah, the fact that, uh, you know, he made us and he made tasty food and he made tasty beverages, and, and he made relationships, and he made beautiful scenery, and he gave humans the kinds of brains that can invent beautiful architecture and technology and beautiful music. And of course, he, he wants us to enjoy those things and to be happy. That's, I think that's pretty, it's, it's pretty standard fare in the Bible. I once heard somebody say that people in the West – particularly, but around the world, depending on your location, tend to think of themselves in society as happy people who are occasionally trying to deal with unhappy things, when the reality is for all of us that we are all unhappy people desperately in search of a few moments of happiness from time to time. What's your reaction to that statement? I think I think that's right. I think the second choice B, no, that's not a choice, but option B there is pr probably reflects better the way we as Westerners have become have come to see ourselves. And I think that it's it's fairly true. I think that our default mode is not happy. It's not happiness with a few unhappy things sprinkled in, or sometimes massive unhappy things sprinkled in. I think that by and large 
we're unhappy and we're looking for something. We're looking for we're looking for something to mask that. So this, I mean, there's a reason why the use of drugs is on the rise. I don't, I, and I don't just mean the, the types of drugs I just mentioned a few minutes ago, uh, drugs to deal with anxiety or depression. I mean, uh, whatever, whatever you think about it, marijuana use is skyrocketing. It's not just because it's made, it's, it's increasingly becoming legal. It's, it's, it's increasingly becoming legal to recreationally use marijuana because there's an appetite for it. There's a desire for it. Uh, alcohol use is skyrocketing. It's, um, uh, it's, um, and it's not just alcohol and drugs. It's other things too. Uh, hobbies. Uh, we look for happiness in all different kinds of things that, that, you know, uh, um, for, for a lot of us, of course, it's uh, making money and buying things, traveling, uh, those sorts of things, eating out. We're all looking for ways to mask the the humdrum background noise of unhappiness that is the defining characteristic of so many Americans' lives. So there are people who make me happy. There are things that make me happy. There are people who make me unhappy, and there are things that make me unhappy. So is the business of everyday living maximizing the former and minimizing the latter, trying to increase the happiness side of the equation and decrease the unhappiness side, and to get so good at it that eventually I'm a happy guy? It shouldn't be, but it is. It should Why not- shouldn't it be? Well, it shouldn't be because I said at the outset that God wants us to be happy, but there are certain things he wants for us more than happiness. It shouldn't be because happiness is not the ultimate value. If happiness is the ultimate value, then yes, whatever makes you happy should be the most important thing. And this is one of the ways I think that we as a culture have gotten off track. And one of the reasons why we're not happy is because we've made happiness the ultimate value. The pursuit of happiness is actually encoded in our founding documents. We've made that the ultimate value. And so we spend our time pursuing happiness and we 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 ignore some things that are more important than happiness, like truth, for instance, like righteousness. And as a result, we aren't happy. Um we've we, we happiness is not the kind of thing that you can get by pursuing it. It's a side effect. Um if if you if you chase righteousness, you'll get happiness throw in, thrown in. If you chase happiness, you'll get neither. And that's what we, that's that's the place where we've come as a culture is we've made happiness the ultimate value, and now we're neither happy nor right. The never-ending failed pursuit. Yes, yeah. My English Standard Version uses the word happy only eight times, and all eight are in the Old Testament. The term the Bible uses more often, it seems to me, is joy. It appears more than 200 times. So are these words, happy and joy, are they interchangeable? Or from a biblical perspective, is there some kind of distinction between happy and joy? Yeah, so we we don't really, I mean— it's not that the words themselves are important, but but what they what they signify in the Bible is it points us to a really important reality. So happiness and happiness and joy are both related, of course. They're they're, they're linked with each other and very very similar. They both denote um, 
uh, you know, emotional, psychological states of being pleased, of being at peace, of taking pleasure. Um, happiness, though, is happiness can be a surface thing. I mean, so happiness is what happens like the you, you read something earlier about people eating and drinking. Uh, happiness is what we get when we enjoy good food, which is fine. Joy related to that, though, is much deeper and not dependent upon outward circumstances. Happiness is. Um, happiness can be, I should say. Joy, though, is tied to something deeper than happiness. Uh, the Bible talks about is actually having a conversation with a group of guys uh, just this morning about um the, the book of James in the New Testament starts off by saying, count it all joy when you go through trials and struggles. And um, the reason why is it says, because trials and struggles build up your endurance. They make you mature. They give you the completeness that you need to be a real human being. Kind of like working out, right? Um, working out is, so happiness would be making the winning basket to win the game. What happens after that is happiness. That's good. Happiness is not what you would describe when you're running the wind sprints during practice five nights a week. You would not describe that as happiness. But joy is the confident assurance that the wind sprints are going to lead to the opportunity to take the game-winning shot and that the one is connected to the other, that you have to work hard. You have to be uh, – I'm talking about basketball right now. You have to be disciplined. You have to work hard. You have to show up to practice. You have to hit the gym. You have to run a lot. You have to sacrifice your desires and goals to the team's desires and goals if you want the happiness of winning the basketball game. And joy covers all those things. Joy covers – joy is what motivates you to go and run the wind sprints. You're not happy when you're doing it, but you're joyful when you're doing it because you know that the wind sprints – lead to having your legs under you when you take that 15-foot jumper in the fourth quarter. And those things are connected. Now, as a culture, what we as Americans have done is we've gone for the joy. We want to win the game. But, I'm sorry, we've gone for the happiness. We want to win the game. We've pursued the happiness. We've pursued the happiness. But we've rejected We've rejected the happiness. Is, so John Wooden was good at this. Uh, sorry for those of you who aren't basketball fans or basketball history fans, uh, John Wooden, famous coach of UCLA back in the 1960s and 70s, won a truckload of ch championships, uh, very devout Christian, did a lot of teaching about basketball, almost none of which involved how to win, and almost all of which involved, what do you do to be a teammate? What do you do to be faithful to the system that your team has in place? How can you best support your teammates? How can you work hard and be there for them when they need it on the court and off the court? And so what he was doing, what John Wooden was doing was he was go, he understood that there's something better than winning. There's a, there's a value in basketball that's higher than winning. This is a, uh, most people, most sports fans don't think like this. And it's, most sports fans don't have to think like this because they don't actually, you know, they're not actually participate, participating and competing on the field or on the court. But John Wooden knew that if we go for excellence, we'll get winning thrown in. If I just try to win at all cost, I'll get neither excellence or winning. And happiness is the same way. We as Americans, now I'm kind of repeating what I said a minute ago. We as Americans have per pursued happiness and not excellence. And now we have neither. 
We, know that we don't have truth or righteousness or excellence, and we found ourselves not happy. Whereas if we had gone, if, if we obey the Bible and we go for excellence, truth, righteousness, holiness, we'll get happiness thrown in. The Apostle Paul in Galatians 5 lists joy among seven fruits of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Well, now, if I want an apple, I need to go to the apple tree. If I want joy, do I have to go to the Spirit? Absolutely, yes. Happiness is accessible to people because we're made in God's image, and God's designed us to enjoy good friends and a beautiful sunset and good food, whatever. But joy, which, which again, joy is that certainty that God's design for me is going to lead to happiness if, if I am faithful to him, if I live a life that pursues him and righteousness and justice. Joy is what is certain that that will lead to ultimate happiness. Only the Holy Spirit can lead somebody to that, to say, if I give myself, if, if, if I'm controlled by Jesus Christ, I will be happy. That's only joy. Same thing with peace. To, to, to be at peace in a world that's gone crazy, that's not something you can muster up on your own. Same thing with patience. Uh, same thing with love. These are not things that we can muster up on our own. They're gifts of God. So for our atheist listener today or agnostic listener, did you just say, sorry, but joy is outside your reach? You can, you can stop your pursuit of that now because if you intend to obtain that by circumventing the Spirit, it's not doable. Yeah. Ultimately, yeah, that is what I said. Now, God is good. God is loving. He sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. And um, God gives all of us, because we're made in his image, he gives all of us taste of joy, taste of love, taste of peace that are real and genuine. They aren't fake. And all of us get to enjoy those things to, to, to a greater or lesser extent. People can shut themselves off to that, of course, or they can foster that, of course. But those things are meant to lead us to the ultimate, infinite joy, love, peace, long-suffering, patience, etc. that's given to us in Christ. And that's why people are troubled by the fact that they're, they're transitory, but their experiences of joy, while real, are, are transitory. You hold your newborn child in your arms or you listen to you know you listen to the, the the fourth movement of Beethoven's fifth symphony and you come in contact with something that's deep and profound and beautiful and there's something out there that's bigger than me there's something out there that I I I I can see it out of the corner of my eye but when I try to focus on it it slips away and that thing is the joy that comes in Jesus. It's what we were. It's the joy of God. It's the joy that comes when you tap into the mystery at the heart of the universe. That God became a human being to give us this deep joy. I said, if for, for for both of our our believers and our listeners who aren't believers, agnostics and whatnot, I would recommend, highly recommend. And I just I just thought about this just now. I didn't think about this in the context of this conversation until you just started talking about joy, Chuck. Um, C.S. Lewis's book, Surprised by Joy, which is his spiritual autobiography. It's a really, it's, a, it's an easy read. It's kind of the story of his life. But basically, I tried to sum this up in a few sentences here. He basically says that he moved from atheism to theism to Christianity as an adult. He was a professor at Oxford when this happened. 
And one of the reasons why is because God had given him a taste of joy when he was a kid. So the name of the book is Surprised by Joy. And and that joy was, this is going to sound crazy, but some of you will know what I'm talking about. If this is not your specific thing, it will be something else. When he was a kid, his older brother had taken um, the tin off of a, 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 a can of cookies, so like the size of a paper plate, but like a metal tin, turned it upside down and, and filled it with um, some dirt and then put some, uh, some peat moss in there and um, uh, put a little bit of uh, uh, little tiny twigs and branches and created a miniature garden. And Lewis says, when I was a kid, I looked at that and I experienced a deep sense, a deep, profound sense of joy. I wanted to go to that garden. He says, I was completely aware it's just a fake garden on a tent, but it tapped into something deep in me that I I didn't realize it, but I, I was spending the rest of my life trying to get back to that sense that there's some beautiful, real place for me to go that I can't get to. And I spent the rest of my life chasing that. And I ultimately found that, right, rightly so, I believe, of course, as a Christian, ultimately found that place in God. And he realizes, looking back, that God had given him that little that experience of that little toy garden to draw him to himself and to say, there is joy out there, but you can't, it's not going to be in money. It's not going to be in sex. It's not going to be in power. All those things can be happy and can point us towards ultimate joy. But if we chase those things, we won't get them and we won't get happiness either. But if we chase after righteousness and truth and holiness, we'll get all of those things and joy thrown into boot. Okay. That's a little bit more complicated than I had thought about it previously. I guess I've basically looked at this from a simple perspective, although what you just described is moves in the direction of the abstract for me. Um, can we just say that joy is the result of a little less suffering, a little less difficult day? Uh, are happiness and sadness relative to one another? Well, I don't think we can because uh, I don't think we can because. Um, Let me rephrase it. Can happiness be um, achieved by just having a little less suffering in my life? Is the less suffering I have? less adversity I have mean the more happiness I have? Are they related in that way? I don't think we can because I think the assumption behind that is that happiness has to do with my experiences, which what we're seeing today, what we've talked about today is that the Bible says that that's not the case. And our experience, uh, my experience in Mexico, down in the down in the heart of Mexico with a very impoverished community, verifies that in my mind that these people, their experiences were were not anything that I, as American, would consider happiness producing. And yet they were very happy. And so so I don't think that we can connect those things. I think that we have to say that happiness, if it exists, is not connected to circumstances. We know poor people who are happy. We know poor people who are sad. We know rich people who are happy and rich people who are sad. I personally know healthy people who are unhappy and healthy people who are happy. I know sick people who are unhappy and sick people who are happy. So just my my personal experience is that happiness is somehow not connected to outward circumstances or experiences. 
It's somehow connected to this deeper joy, which is available to people no matter what their circumstances are. And what I'm trying to argue here is, is that a relationship with God is more important than happiness and leads to happiness. Pursuing happiness instead of a relationship with God will lead to not having God and not having happiness too. And so what I think that happiness is related to is this joy, the joy that Lewis is talking about and surprised by joy, the joy of knowing the creator God in Jesus Christ. So would it be correct to say that the person the non, who is non-Christian, the person who is an unbeliever, the person who is spiritually dead is permanently unhappy, no matter what they think about how the day is going. They're, they're stuck in their unhappiness forever unless something happens to affect that state of spiritual death. Um, joy, I would say they don't have joy. Happiness is available to people temporarily through circumstance. You can get happiness. The problem is, is that is that it's not guaranteed. You, it can function. What you do to yourself circumstantially can function as a sort of a drug to temporarily produce happiness. You actually can be very, very happy when you take heroin. That's if you want to be happy, just get on heroin the whole time. The problem, though, is that it's temporary and it's damaging, and it functions the same way with food or with sex or with family or friends. You can make yourself happy by by loving family and friends and wine and good food and baseball or whatever your hobby is. You can make yourself happy doing that, but it's temporarily. Eventually, the game's over. Eventually, the meal's over. Eventually, the kid grows up and moves out of the house or grows up and stays in the house, which might even be less happiness-inducing. So it's that happiness that you get from those things is important. I'm not poo-pooing it. It's valuable, not just because it's pleasant, but because it points us to the possibility of happiness, to a deeper joy. But, you know, heroin, it's temporary and it trashes you. It's the love of children, it's temporary and it doesn't trash you like heroin, but in a sense it will. It will go away. I The... the you know, walking your kid to their college dorm, unpacking their stuff, and turning around and walking away is not as damaging as heroin, but it is a gut-wrenching thing to go through because it's temporary. There's only one permanent thing that can promise permanent happiness, permanent joy, and that is God and Jesus Christ who gives us ultimate acceptance, ultimate forgiveness, uh, ultimate, the promise of ultimate pleasure in him. And now we still, as Christians, we still live in, we still live in a world where there's bad circumstances. So there's going to be times when we're not happy, but that's why Paul and James say things like rejoice when you're going through bad circumstances, because they, they almost always say this because God's in control. This is going to work out. He's using our bad circumstances to train us. And he's promising that he wins in the end and eternal joy and happiness is prepared for us. Suppose I came to you for pastoral help and care. I tell you that I have not been happy for a very long time. I've made changes and I've asked God to improve my situation, but nothing has gotten better. And I wonder what I've done wrong that God has left me in this hopeless condition. How would you counsel me? 
Well, so that's uh, – you're very, very vague there, Chuck. When people come and talk to me about that, it's usually more specific, like the usually specific things. I was talking to somebody recently about their job. I'm not happy in my job. What do I need to do? Um, I have this conversation a lot with people. I'm not happy in my marriage. Lots of people will come and say to me, I just – I, you know, I'm not saying I wasn't in love when we got married, but honestly, I'm just not feeling it anymore, you know, and I'm not happy and – uh, what should I do? I've actually had people say to me, the Clyde's almost a cliche, but say to me, well, doesn't God want me to be happy? And so if somebody comes and talks to me about uh, they're not happy and they don't know what they're doing wrong, I mean, a couple of things we can do is this. First of all, um, this is what we've been kind of talking about. Um, are you trying to be happy? Is that your goal? Because if you're trying to be happy, you're not going to be happy. It's 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 a uh, it's a side effect, not a goal. If you're trying to be happy, you won't be happy. If you're trying to be righteous, if you're trying to be holy, if you're looking to God, you will get righteousness and holiness and truth and beauty, but with happiness thrown in. So that's one thing I have to always be checking with myself. What's my goal here in this situation? I'm having a conversation with my kids about something we disagree about. Is my goal my happiness and their happiness? Or is it righteousness? If it's my happiness or their happiness or some combination of it, no, none of us are going to be happy. And, and I, uh, frankly, I'm at this point, at this stage in the game, I guess I'm not shocked when people who don't know Jesus say this, but I'm shocked when Christians say this. I just want my kid to be happy. That's all I want. I just want him to be happy. So they're not going to be happy as long as you're trying to make them happy. And the reason why you're struggling is because you're trying to make them happy, and they resent that. They don't want you to try to make them happy because you can't make them happy. But if my goal in my relationship with my kids or my wife or with anything is – or my job, is my goal with my job to make me happy or is it righteousness? Then a lot of times I just need to reset. I need to like find out uh, uh, you know, where, where am I chasing happiness and it's elusive, and so I'm unhappy because I can't get it. And where do I need to stop doing that and refocus on doing what's right instead? Doing what's right, um, believing what's right, uh, center myself back into Christian worship, focusing on the Creator God, and then letting happiness spring out of that. That's hard to do because, like, I'm convinced if I stop trying to make. Uh, you know, I, I'm convinced that if I stop really caring about money, I might lose that money and then not be happy. And what God is saying is, no, 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 stop caring about money. Let me take care of you, and you'll be happy, and you'll have me both. And so if somebody comes to my office and says that, um, that that's kind of the first place I start. The second place I would go is this, and they're related, is let's let our unhappiness be a symptom of a deeper problem. Why are you unhappy at work? Well, let's figure this out. Is it because you're bored? Is it because you resent the fact that you're getting passed over promotions? Is it because your supervisor's a real jerk? These are all issues that need to be worked out. And unhappiness functions as a symptom to point out where things are wrong. Why are you unhappy in your marriage? Uh, is it because your spouse is cheating on you? That's that's a, that's a completely different reason than if you're unhappy because I'm just bored and this person doesn't interest me anymore. So to use the unhappiness as a symptom to sort of, you know, to, to focus down, to buckle down on the problem and then start to address the key problems underneath. The key problem is not the unhappiness. 
unhappiness is just a symptom that there's a key problem that needs to be addressed and going in there. That's probably where I would head with those conversations without knowing any specifics. Uh, here, I tried to give you a few examples of the kind of things that make people unhappy, but that's probably where I would go. Well, <clears throat> excuse me, not to belabor the question, but the, really the point that I was driving at is when the person who is unhappy and has done everything in my power to try to get happy, including going to my knees and, and asking God for some kind of a remedy, which they have not realized, then has come to the conclusion that the reason this is happening be, is because of me. There's something wrong with me. Okay, yeah. And if I could figure out what that is and fix that, then God would be pleased with me and he would make me happy. And so now I'm sort of in this never-ending circle of trying to identify what I'm doing wrong that causes God to back away, put distance between him and me, and leave me in this unhappy condition. Yeah, what can I do to change God's mind about making me happy? Yeah. So, well, so to cycle back to the uh, to, to what we what we talked about back at the very beginning of this episode, to say that actually God wants some things more important. God wants some things more for me than happiness is another way of saying that there are going to be times when I'm not happy, and I just let I just have to let God have that. I can always be joyful. But there might be some times when I'm not happy. Was Jesus happy going to the cross? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. That's not the goal. If the goal is for him to be happy, then we're all damned. If the goal is righteousness and truth, then you live in that as the goal and forget about happiness. If you, so I'll see, I'll see this with, um, I'll give you an example from, from um, marriage counseling. I'll talk to a couple and the, one of the members of the couple will say, like, I'm willing to fight for this marriage, but they have to stop doing X. And the partner will say, okay, I'll stop doing X. And they'll stop doing X for a couple of weeks. And they'll be like, I stopped. They'll come back and say, I stopped doing X. And they're still not like participating. Okay, so you stopped doing X, but you stopped doing X to get them to do something. You should stop doing X because it's wrong to not do X. Do it, you know, that's the goal. For, for, forget about, for, in other words, if somebody comes to me and they say, and, I, and I, this is hard to talk about because I don't want to imply that, uh, that happiness is unimportant or that God doesn't want you to be happy. But if somebody says, I've done everything, I've prayed and I've said, God, it's all up to you. You need to make me happy. And I'm still not happy. What I'll, what I'll end up saying, perhaps if we get to this point is, what do you want more? Do you want God or do you want happiness? Who's your real God? Is God the, is, is happiness the real God? If happiness is the real God, then God functions as a stepping stone to get happiness. And if you say, I want God, but only if he can make me happy, then what you really don't want is God. What you really want is happiness. And that means happiness is your real God, which means God isn't your real God, if that makes any sense. And what I'm saying is readjust those, make God your real God, and you'll get happiness thrown in. So in other words, and this is hard to say, and it's hard to believe, and it's actually hard to live in, I know, is forget happiness. I don't care. I'll be miserable. God, I just want you. And if we can get to that point, we'll get happiness thrown into boot. But it's the same. Like happiness is not the goal. Look, so if 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 happiness, I've done this illustration in here before, and, and I know we're running a little bit long. I'll try to to be quick with this. If happiness is the goal, I'm not going to go to the dentist because dentists make me intensely unhappy. But if I'm wise, if my, if happiness isn't the goal. 
but truth and righteousness is the goal. Or in my illustration, if, if happiness isn't the goal, but healthy teeth is the goal, then I'm going to go to the dentist and I'm going to say, I just need to have healthy teeth and I'm going to go put up with this pain. I will get happiness thrown in. I will get lack of mouth pain. But if I, if I pursue, like, I don't want any mouth pain, I'm going to end up having massive mouth pain and unhealthy teeth together. And those both, and this is all, that's all I'm saying. That's what the Bible is saying is if you want happiness, stop chasing happiness and go for God. If you get God, you'll get happiness thrown in. If you chase happiness, you'll get neither God nor happiness. You're right. We're running a little long here. I have just two more questions for you that I'd like to like you to address. This joy business, as opposed to happiness, does seem to have a character all its own. So I'm thinking about, I think it was Peter and John in Acts chapter 5 who were dragged before the council because they refused to stop preaching Jesus. And at the end of the chapter, it says, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And when they say beat them, I think it was probably didn't make them very happy. Sure, yeah. But then it says, they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Mm -hmm. So there's something going on there that just does not follow the normal human pattern. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, same thing that we've just been talking about. Happiness or joy is not tied to circumstances. And actually, that joy led to happiness there. They were, they were rejoicing. They were joyful, but they were also like actively happy. Um, that joy, that happiness is not tied to circumstances. It's tied to, it's tied to what are you pursuing? Your joy and your happiness will be tied to what you pursue and what that thing that you're pursuing, what its ability is to sustain joy and happiness. Physical comfort, they realized, is not big enough to sustain happiness. You can spend your entire life working out, trying to, you know, going to the dentist, uh, having your annual checkups, to, eventually that's going to bail on you. Eventually your, your arthritis is going to kick in or you're going to get some sort of bad disease. Their goal was not physical comfort. Their goal was Jesus. And because their goal was Jesus, they got Jesus. They got what they wanted. They got Jesus. And they got joy thrown in regardless of circumstances. If your goal is the one thing that can bear the weight of your needs— Jesus, only thing that can bear the weight of your needs. You're going to get those needs met. <laughs> if your goal is anything besides Jesus, those needs will at some point become unmet. If your goal is intact family, if your goal is good health, if your goal is financial security, none of that can bear the weight of your expectations. Only Jesus can. And so, if you know Peter and James and John, uh, James and John, whoever it was in that story, their goal is, I want to know Jesus. And because that was their goal, they could be happy whether they were getting beat or not beating because they had Jesus and they got the happiness thrown in. Finally, one more question. Suppose I were to say that, yes, I know that God has infinite happiness waiting for me when I get to heaven. But life has pretty much taught me that the pursuit of happiness in this world is up to me. How would you respond? Well, Christians do this a lot that, you know, they make Jesus and, uh, you know, going to heaven when you die or whatever that is. They, they make that kind of like a, that's kind of my, uh, uh, you know, future destiny app on my phone. The rest of it's all up to me though. I just got to get, you know, I just got to 
you know, money, sex, and power. That's what I need in order to be fulfilled. Well, so that, yeah, like, like I'm saying, that you can try that. I, I'm not encouraging you to, but if you do, you could learn some valuable lessons. The primary one being that you cannot make yourself happy by trying to make yourself happy. It's the primary lesson here. We've tried to make ourselves happy. We've found that it actually, we've actually, like I said, we've encoded it in our, in, in our founding documents. It's tried. We're not happy. Let's try something different. Let's actually try righteousness and truth and justice. Let's try God and Jesus Christ. Dear listener, if you have a topic for discussion, I'd like to hear your suggestion. On the Craving Answers, Craving God page on our church website, you'll find an email address right on the top of the page. Contact at stjamesglencarbon.org. Contact us and send us your question. Thanks for listening. For Pastor Aaron Miller and our production manager, Larry O'Leary, I'm Chuck Rather.